0: Hey Marcus. Hey Ray. Hey man, give me a hand with the tarp over here in the corner. What's the tarp for? It's covering the imbalanced time machine. Come on, let's get it off. Ready? I, One, I didn't know two. that's where
1: you put it. It's
0: yeah, right. Got to keep the dust out of all the strange little crevices that it has. <laughs> you know, technology and dust, man, it ain't good. So, <laughs> and it's time to go. You ready to go?
1: I got I'm ready the controls go.
0: all set. Hold on, let me let me dial it in, where, and we're off. Where are we we'll going?
1: See when we will see
0: what we got there. Bring a heavy coat.
1: Now you tell me.
0: <laughs> and we're there.
1: <laughs> and there, fortunately, we're indoors.
0: There is February 2nd, 1959. We're backstage at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa. The show is over. Don't you shiver man? We're Freezy. indoors. <laughs> oh my God. We're indoors. You it's think cold there's now. heaters I- here. <laughs> Yeah, inside there are heaters, but outside or on the bus, not so much, right? True. Clear Lake, Iowa, Surf Ballroom, the last stop, as it turns out, of the Winter Dance Tour. Those words would become synonymous with a horrible plane crash and tragedy, right?
1: Absolute brutal day in music, that tragedy. Kind of a loss of innocence that day.
0: And the reason we're beaming into the backstage here at the Surf Ballroom, which by the way is now a national park what? Yeah, it is. And the reason that we're here is because over in the far corner, we're kind of being a little noisy, but giving witness to a flip of a coin and one person offering up their seat on a plane after Buddy Holly has booked a small plane, a very small plane, which will be piloted by a 21-year-old, relatively inexperienced pilot in a snowstorm to get them to Minnesota. And so Waylon gives up his seat to J.P. Richardson, right? The big bopper.
1: That is correct. And... And, and
0: then what happens with the coin toss?
1: Richie and Tommy Alsop flipped a coin to see who would get that final seat. And Richie Valens got the uh, coin toss. Won. Yeah, he won the, coin toss. Won the yeah. coin toss. Yeah. And ended up on the plane. And a toss of fate, yes. if
0: you think about it. It goes one way, one man lives, and, and the other one dies. And it goes the other way, and Tommy also doesn't continue to live and have a, a long life.
2: Got off the bus, it was out here, kind of around the side of the ballroom, and walked over, got my little bag, little left the bag, folded dirty clothes, went over to the station wagon, was parked right here at the back door. And Buddy and Mr. Anderson was in the front seat of the station wagon. And the big box was in the second seat, so I slid in and put my bag there. And said, Tommy, go back in and check, make sure we've got everything loaded out. And He never said that before, you know. But we load our own stuff every night. We didn't have roadies back in those days. So I came back in here, in this room right here, there's the door, I came in. And Richie was standing right behind you in the doorway there, signing an autograph. And he seen me come in here and I walked over and looked in that closet. He said, come on, guy, let me fly, you know. So, some reason I just pulled a half a dollar out of a block and flipped it and said, call it. He said, heads. So, he heads. So I went back out to the station wagon and told Buddy. I said, I'm, I'm not going. Me and Richie flipped a call. And he's going to my place. Buddy that's cool.
1: So sad. and just the whole situation as we get into it is heartbreaking and could have been fully avoided.
0: Well, the Winter Dance Party was a tour of necessity, and I read somewhere that between trying to recover financially from what had been taken from him by his manager, Norman Petty, and the desire to get away from it all and move to New York City with his new pregnant wife as they were getting ready to make their life there in New York. He'd already started the moves to do that with Mm -hmm. Marie Area, right? So there are the motivations for getting on a crappy bus in the middle of winter and suffering all the way through to the Clear Lake show there at the Surf Ballroom in the beginning of February. So, but buddy gets the idea. I'll rent a plane. We'll feel better in a hotel room. We'll do some laundry. We'll warm up. Mm-hmm. Everybody's been cold and miserable, including the guys who end up getting on the plane. They were looking to get out of there.
1: Everybody was uh, looking to get out of the cold, get off those buses. Those buses were continually having problems. And during that tour, they had at least five buses buses because of all of the mechanical problems that they were having with heaters breaking down and because of the cold reaching somewhere in the negative 30 to 40 degree range with wind chill and that part of the country gets so nasty cold that time of the year when those arctic winds and those northern winds hit you and it causes mechanical problems as we see and these kids were sick and they were tired and the tour was designed poorly. They were driving Driving long routes and doing 350, 400 miles a night.
0: Bill Griggs, a historian of Buddy Holly, said it looked like they took a dartboard and just threw darts and played wherever they landed, that kind of a tour. Mm -hmm. So it was really a mess right from the beginning. I want to fast forward now, Marcus. This is a sad moment because, you know, there was a joke made as these guys separated from backstage to go to the plane or the bus. And uh, Buddy made a joke about you know, go ahead, I'm flying, you know, freeze your ass off on the bus. And Waylon Jennings, in one of those snide comments that we make and later regret our whole lives sometimes, turn around and said, well, I hope your plane crashes or something like that. And there's Waylon having gotten the news that the plane has indeed crashed. And I see him alone, feeling that pain, that regret, that instant regret that you never thought was going to happen or you would have never said it. And that hung with him for a long time. And for a long time, no one knew about it until over the years, he finally talked about it before he passed.
1: I'm sure he couldn't talk about it for a long time. And in that chain of events and all of that happened that night, the regret, the guilt, the sorrow, just an overwhelming power of emotions overcoming you. And to have to live with that, you definitely want to bury that and compartmentalize that as much as possible. You have to. To move forward.
0: Of course, Waylon would go on to be part of the Outlaws of Country Music and have an amazing Hall of Fame level career. And always, I'm sure there are nights when he would have an amazing show in the back of his mind, it still would be bugging him. Something like that doesn't leave him. You know what I'm left with here at the beginning of this episode about the day the music died, Marcus? What? I'm left with a question about Dion DiMucci. He had just started Dion and the Belmonts who are now in the Rock mm-hmm. and Roll Hall of Fame, and very little was ever spoken about their part in the tour that night. And I know there's probably footage of Dion somewhere discussing it and talking about it, but I'm not really aware of it. So, research department! Mm-hmm. See if you can find us some audio wow. on Dion talking about the day the music died. That's the subject this week on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. As often we do, Marcus, we jump into things before we say who we really are and what we're doing here. Or the fact that we're also sponsored by our friends at Crook And I Brewery in Hapro, and by our new sponsors, Boldfoot Socks, a really cool new company that we're excited to have with us here on the Imbalance podcast.
1: This day is very significant, and at some point during this discussion, we'll talk about the song that became famous in regards to the day the music died as well throughout this discussion. But there's really a lot to discuss. And the more that I've been digging during the preparation for this, and I feel like I didn't dig enough my mind is blown by what i'm finding out and some of the little details that have been left out of the story over the years and when you see like the uh la bamba documentary and the buddy holly story some of these details aren't in there as well because they don't flow with the hollywood groove of the storyline and i understand that but these details make a huge difference in all of this when you learn about you know what happened
0: one of the things that did make the movie La Bamba is something that almost happened to Richie Valenzuela before he ever got into rock and roll. There was a mid-flight crash involving the Air Force and a couple test vehicles right over top of the Bacoima Middle School that Richie attended it, and they actually landed right outside the school. There were kids who were killed and and injured by the crash and the fallout from it, but it landed right next to the school, and it came so close to hitting that school. And in the movie I think it's meant to force shadow you talk about Hollywood making use of things that actually happened and it does eventually lead around to him being on that flight another component in that flight of course the big bopper JP Richardson man he's got a great story he was on the come as a star as a player on multiple levels he was the original multimedia superstar long before you could be that
1: I think he was really maybe the first of those uh, crazy wild jocks who Started writing the wild songs that were edgy for the time period, and doing things like that, like the Chantilly Lace was completely edgy for white culture at that time.
0: Sure, he's on the phone talking yeah. about it. I'll say what innuendo, I'll do what? total you
1: know, innuendo. And, and that was
0: very, very racy for the time. And here's the thing: you want to you want to get a timestamp? Here's my <laughs> brain DNA timestamp. Clunk. There I am when it becomes a hit in uh, 1958. I'm laying in my crib. So there I'm laying. That you know it it's coming out mm-hmm. of the radio. Oh, baby, it's what I like. I heard that sound all my life. I knew that song and on and all the music of that era implicitly because of what was ingrained in us, in our little infinitesimal minds, you know?
1: It's wild that you remember hearing the Big Bopper all your life because <laughs> I got to watch the Dick Clark YouTube video of the Big Bopper on American Bandstand and you could see the girl's eyes swooning while he was yeah. doing the innuendo phone calls and just watching them look at each other and smile and like giggle all properly and you could see that vibe and feel that naughty vibe that he was giving off and it was really cool to see it that time period where everything was so warden uh, just a little bit of help to
2: help me set this scene what do you see as you look through here this will take us to the next spot the the eiffel tower that's a pretty good telescope isn't it we take you to france because that's the place where they have all the beautiful women the wonderful perfume. Chantilly Lace, and the Big Bopper. Hello, baby. Yeah, this is the Big Bopper speaking.
3: <laughs> oh, you sweet thing. Do I want...
2: Chantilly lace and a pretty face And a pony tail hanging down Wiggling the walk and a wiggling the talk Make the world go round
3: Ain't nothing in the world like a big-eyed girl That make me act so funny Make me spend my money Make me feel real loose Like a long-necked goose Like a girl what I like Well you gotta
0: recognize also That the uh, wild fast Talking DJ was becoming A thing in America on the radio Especially rock and roll radio mm-hmm. the bigger uh, The personality the better the more Outlandish sometimes the better And Richardson was getting pretty good at that I mean he started out you know just As a kid in radio he became the Supervisor of announcers at his station And then of course when he comes back From the service right he gets mm-hmm. Back and he holds down the dishwasher serenade shift which is like middle of the day and he goes through a transformation that he becomes the big bopper and realizes because of this uh dance that the kids were doing called the bop Mm -hmm. he's going to call himself that that's going to make him relevant right became the number one dj then the program director broke records of all kinds of stuff
3: well, there's a little Jew joint on the outside of town Where the cats pick them up and they lay them down You get your gal, I get mine And we'll get together and we'll have a good time And we'll dance a little bit to the pop, to the bop Dance a little bit to the pop We'll dance a little bit to the pop. We'll dance to the rock and roll yeah, and I dance, dance, dance Dance, well, dance, dance, dance.
0: He broke a record for the longest continuous broadcast. Something like, how long was it? Five like days, five something. Days.
1: Five days yeah, and some and odd
0: hours. Sh- He did all kinds of crazy stuff. He got himself a reputation. Then he started writing music, right? He had Mm -hmm. that as a background, and he started doing all this stuff. In fact, there's one song that I never knew that he wrote that was a hit after the day the music died. My mom played that record for me a lot when I was a little kid. Johnny Preston, it was his friend from Port Arthur, Texas. He wrote this song, Running Bear, that was a big hit for him, and I guess it was all being put together and recorded around the time of the crash. I mean, I'm learning stuff about this, and this stuff all happened. 60 plus years ago.
1: He was also looking at buying his own radio station yes. at the end of the tour using some of that money because he was having so much fun doing the radio and writing the songs for like being the afternoon DJ. I'm going to write these novelty songs about Red Riding Hood and whoever and he really got good at it and he was going to work on He had like 20 more songs to work on after this tour. Like He, he was plants. always going. His wife yep. had a baby on the way. He had a baby boy yeah. born two months after the crash. He had a daughter that was a few years old as well. So he had a family and just he was a really smart guy who did really well in college, was a football player, just really fun guy.
0: You brought up Jay Perry Richardson or the Big Bopper Junior, as he would later call himself. It's really the story of two children, one born to the big bopper, his wife, Adrienne, uh, giving birth to Jay Perry after the crash. And the child that Maria was carrying, Buddy's child, which she miscarried at the news of Buddy's death. A few weeks later, she had a miscarriage. So there were no progeny that we know of from Buddy Holly, but one born, one miscarry. And the one who's born has to carry on. And let me tell you something. He didn't believe everything that had been kind of like tied up and given as the story for what happened on the plane, and in regards to the plane crash. There was some story, a conspiracy theory, some would suppose, that involved the prospect that a gun had been fired on board that led to the crash. He asked for and received an inquest to exhume his father's body and perform an autopsy. And while he went through all this, it must have been really hard for him. Come on, face it. Your dad's part of a legendary tragedy. You think there's something more to it. You go, you bring him in they check him out they say serious serious head injury there's no way the conspiracy theory said that he may have crawled away from the crash site and there's a picture of it it's gruesome but they said there's no way that that could have happened that he was dead on impact and had no life in him to crawl anywhere the impact i think shocked a lot of people when they saw how far things had flown from the plane Mm -hmm. except for the pilot who was trapped inside he was these are gruesome realities he had just married his high school sweetheart he was just starting his life yet he's not known that well Roger Peterson he's kind of a footnote to this whole story and all I'll say is that they were all young talented people Richie younger than the rest they were all on their way to bigger and better things Richie Valenzuela shortened for the Anglo Market became Richie Valens, and he was the forerunner of the entire Latino rock movement he was the guy who really got things going with the hit records and the swagger and from such a young age everyone was certain that he was going to lead the way for them too Mm -hmm. the way buddy was going to lead the way for the rock and rollers like
1: him you had three people on that plane that were changing rock and roll at the same time and they were all changing it in different ways but in different great ways buddy holly being so involved in his work and his production and really taking it to the next level as far as that end goes and then you have Richie Valens this young 16 year old kid who's writing these beautiful songs with the Mexican traditional roots behind them and then just rocking them out and the swagger and the attitude that you mentioned were all there it was so beautiful and then you had this really super amazing fun guy doing these wild songs with dirty innuendo shaking the foundations (laughs) of clean america yeah rock and roll baby
0: always been that way in one way or another it's always been like that
1: dangerous yes
0: to the core You know, one thing I learned taking a closer look about the crash and the crash site was that despite the reports of nasty weather, there was intermittent snow or steady snow. It wasn't like it was this whistling blizzard from the, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing like that. It was snowy and there was a breeze, but it probably was a night too cold for anything mechanical to be doing anything. Even now, you'll have failure of things, mechanical things, at the temperatures that night without the wind and without the heavy snow and... They should have waited till the morning
1: and flown. Absolutely. They still
0: would have gotten more Moorhead before everybody else, I think.
1: Absolutely. It was 400 miles on a bus those days that kept breaking down. Would have been a 10, 12-hour drive easily in the winter. You know what really
0: helps me when it comes to a 10 to 12-hour bus ride in the cold in the winter? A growler full of my favorites from Crooked Eye. You know what else? What? I love it when my bold foot socks... Keep my feet warm while I'm on that bus drinking that growler.
1: When the heat ain't working, you got a beer and a sock to keep you warm. That's what we're all about and telling you good stories here on the
0: podcast.
1: Ray, I am so excited for our new sponsor of the podcast, Boldfoot Socks. The story behind this company is really solid. We have a gentleman, Josh, who owns the company with his family, who's a veteran and a family of veterans. And he tried Boldfoot Socks before he owned the company to use in a 100K trail race And they had no problems. I mean, his feet felt fine afterwards, except for however your feet would feel after a 100K trail race. But there were no problems with the socks or anything. And so he and his family decided they wanted to buy the company.
0: That's an impressive story. And they have everything from dress socks, compression socks, athletic stuff. And the designs are super cool. So check them out at boldfoot.com. And... If you're a listener to the podcast, you can save fifteen percent on your order with the promo code History15. That's History15 at boldfoot.com. Boldfoot socks, grown here, sewn here, a hundred percent American-made. You gotta love that. And five percent of all of Boldfoot's profits go to veterans in need. It's a veteran family, a veteran-owned company, and we thank them for their service and for their sponsorship of the imbalanced history of rock and roll. A new year at Crooked
1: Eye and a new slate of freshly brewed ales. And your favorites, right? Of course, the favorites always. I'm excited to try some of these new beers in 2022 as well, because it's a new year. Try some new beer.
0: See what's new in 2022 at York (laughs) and Montgomery in the heart of Hatboro. Always a good time to be had there. The live music, the events, the blues jam on Wednesday nights. And of course, you not only can have the brews that are made right there on the premises by Jeffrey, but they've got Pennsylvania craft spirits and wine and just a good time to be had anytime you slide by Crooked Eye in the heart of Montgomery County and in the heart of Delco near
1: you. That's right. Check out Jamie's House of Music.
0: And they've announced a third place to get your crooked eye at Speed Raceway in Horsham, Pennsylvania. Always something happening, man. Always something going on behind the eye A Crooked Eye. Marcus and Ray, back on The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. We're looking back to a day and time that's changed so much. The loss of the three artists involved, what it did to the lives surrounding their lives, and the legend and path of rock and roll. Let's just take a second and stop up and reset. Where were we in February of 1959? Well, Charles Buddy Holly had had his first number one with That'll Be the Day, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Ironically, that'll be the day that I die was part of the lyrics.
1: But that was more of a love type of a, you know, type of thing. I know. But let's look
0: at what was going on. He had had a number one. So he was going out to to do the the tour, the winter dance party tour. Elvis was out of the scene. He was in the army. Chuck Berry was in trouble with the law. I'm not sure if it was again. And Jerry Lee Lewis was trying to slide by the scandal that involved him marrying his 13-year-old half-cousin. Man, that's a lot of loss. For rock and roll marquee level talent you know out of the mix all that at that time is crazy so the pressure is on a little on buddy and he pulls together some really great forces of rock and roll going to get out there and have a good winter tour record more music and his plan is to spearhead the future of rock and roll right now and that was the plan for everybody on that plane including Roger Peterson, by the
1: way. He doesn't get enough mention, and he should be mentioned as part of this. And not in a bad way, he was doing what he was hired to do, and the owner of the company had all the faith in Roger to get them there safely. I do not think he would have sent Roger with those musicians if he did not have 100% confidence in that young kid.
0: But when they don't arrive at their destination, Mr. Dwyer has to think about the unthinkable and he has to be the one that goes out and takes a look around and he's the one who encounters the wreckage strewn across multiple fields and across a road and also strewn in the wreckage were the bodies of Holly and Richardson and Valenswell. As I mentioned in the beginning, the wreckage was so gnarly that Peterson, the pilot, was stuck inside. A gruesome scene and For a long time, not really marked. People knew that that's kind of where it happened, and there was scarring on the ground, I suppose. And one of the things over the years that happened was a local guy put together that guitar with the records on it that's, like, made out of steel that's stuck in the ground at the spot. And he later, by the way, made another memorial to Roger Peterson because he realized it wasn't right to not include him. And one of the things in the article that I was reading, I believe it was... In the san antonio newspapers was a lot of people don't know when they're standing there taking pictures of the site and the memorial that they're actually standing in the area where buddy holly's body was found in relation to the crash that's spooky to me man that whole thing would be to visit there it would be like i don't know i don't know if i could do it
1: they're guesstimating that or through all of their research that the plane hit the ground at about 170 miles an hour and they say that I think Richie and Buddy flew through the uh, windshield and were ejected from the plane that way and because they went through the glass it shattered their skulls and it just wrecked them and they were dead on impact and of course the pilot was dead on impact because he was mangled up with the plane and then the big bopper when the plane flipped and came apart his body was thrown from the plane and he was in a field nearby somewhere away from the plane. Which is why his
0: son and other people thought that he had crawled away, that he had somehow survived the impact, but that's not the case mm-hmm. as that autopsy that we discussed in the first half of the
1: show. And they said there were thousands of fractures in his bones when they looked at the body, and like each like finger bones had multiple fractures. Like It was just devastating, that crash. So yes. no conspiracies behind it. There was no nope. sabotage, no nothing. It was just... Just a bad night. In
0: alternate universes, sometimes people want to see what could have would have happened if they had done this, that, or the other thing. And it's a pointless exercise for the most part. What we're here to do is talk a little bit about it and remember the guys. And remember a song that was meant to remember the guys. Don McLean attended Villanova University, not far from Philadelphia, where Marcus and I live. And while he was there, he had a moment of inspiration, I guess you call it,
1: right? You can definitely say he had a moment of inspiration. And he wrote this song, Everybody Knows It. You go to bars late at night, it's one of the last songs you will hear on the jukebox.
3: (laughs) A long, long time ago So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing this'll be the day that I die. This'll be the day that I
0: die. The last song was always closing time. Now it is. Uh, But back then... This was often the last song now. Get the <laughs> hell out, of here! And I always think of the words, bad news on the doorstep. Yeah. I couldn't take one more step. It's the gut reaction to the news. The buddy Holly had died in a plane crash overnight out in Iowa. Can't imagine. I was a baby. I didn't know.
1: I was negative seven years old. I had no idea.
0: Were you negative seven years old when you found out about the day the music died?
1: I was negative seven or so, maybe negative eight, when I found out about the day the music died. My dad was... This
0: is why he's a wizard of (laughs) rock and roll knowledge, my friends. He was (laughs) learning before his parents met.
1: My dad was a senior in high school or a freshman in college, and my mom was a sophomore.
0: You know, we talked about that age thing, you know, and I was a little baby when all this happened. And my mom, she was a teenager of the 50s. My dad loved Sinatra, but he loved Elvis too. You know, he was kind of a crossover guy. Yeah, But mom, man, she loved all this stuff. And Buddy was her favorite, I think. She always talked about him in glowing terms and left me a really nice little stack of Buddy Holly and Buddy Holly and the Crickets 45s. Remember when we talked about the Coral and the Brunswick and all that stuff? I got a bunch of those. I got to get some pictures out. I got to find them. Let's talk a little bit about the music, and a lot of us found more about Richie Valens from the movie La Bamba than we had in all the years that he had been gone, and that's because the story was told, and Los Lobos was a hot band that was a direct descendant of his musicality, and songs like Come On, Let's Go, and Donna, and La Bamba, they were made to make you move your ass. Wait. Spoke to new generations of Americans loving rock and roll who said, who is this Richie Valens guy? And I always think of the moment when his mother finds out about the crash and she screams his name, the pain always, like right now I'm feeling it. Mm-hmm. A mother's pain. It hits home. Any part of that song tells part of the story. And whatever people may think of Don these days as a person, he did that. He captured it
1: for her. Yeah. When she screamed out, it moved me as well. I remember that part very clearly. And still, whenever I would hear Richie Vallon's music after the movie came out, I would always see Lou Diamond Phillips having those visions of the plane crash from the movie. And I don't know why that stuck with me so hard, but it still sticks with me to this day. That moment in that movie or those moments in that movie. That's
0: entertainment. <laughs> That's
1: entertainment. <laughs> but, but seriously, you go. and then also the other part of that movie that stuck with me is how he really struggled with his girlfriend's family because of the color of his skin and how segregated culture really was at that time and how interracial dating was still really frowned upon.
0: It's funny as I'm looking at the thing about Lou Diamond Phillips as the teenager. After the morning had passed, there was a song called Three Stars in tribute to the three fallen stars from the day the music died. And it began to be called that pretty early. I think radio DJs began calling it that shortly after
3: it happened. Look up in the sky, up towards the north. There are three new stars, brightly shining forth. They're shining oh so bright from heaven above. Gee, we're gonna miss you. Everybody sends their love.
0: And then Holly's post-crash hit, It Doesn't Matter Anymore, ironic in its lyrical content. Again, you know, it's not exactly what his intention was, but It Doesn't Matter Anymore. And unfortunately, I think a lot of Buddy's legacy early on was not handled right. Maria was too distraught to be involved. Hell, she didn't even go to Lubbock, right, for the funeral. And there were so many things that she didn't realize that she should have or could have done to secure her own interest as Buddy's wife and all this stuff. And out come the knives, and I don't want to say who's holding them. And that's what really used to happen a lot more, although it still happens when it comes to the music business and sudden unexpected changes like the death of a person who made all that music.
1: And another thing that I relearned from all of this is when you earlier mentioned that buddy holly's wife miscarried as soon as she you know right after she found out about buddy's passing on the news they changed how they report death after that and they stopped allowing the media to report death until the authorities have notified the families it is one of the cases that cause people to stop and go what the fuck are we
0: doing out there yep like newsroom editors were like You caused this by reporting this before the police or family could tell her.
1: Yep. So it was a learning experience as well for our media. And I'm glad that we've made that change because we need to show respect to families, especially in these situations that are as horrid and horrendous and gruesome as these
0: And in the age of tabloid television gone amok, Marcus, it's not always easy to maintain that. But I will give credit to a lot of the people who do tabloid TV. Most of them do hold their tongue out of respect when those things happen. Well, all this talk about a sad occasion like this, I don't know. I can tell you I felt it my whole life in this little pit in my stomach that while we've been talking is something that comes up whenever... A discussion of this event happens maybe it's because i can remember that it caused reaction sadness in my own little circle there around my bassinet you know mm-hmm. that's all i'm thinking These things get in there, even though we're not fully aware. That's why I always joke about having music encoded in my DNA when I was in the crib, you know?
1: You know, hearing music at that early age, that often encodes it into your DNA naturally. It's one of those things that happens. I think me hearing all that music as a child and as a baby made a huge difference in my love for music. So there's a music symbol encoded in our DNA. So when the scientists (laughs) look at our individual DNA, they'll see some sort of musical symbol symbol in there and in the it's spiral. in the pleasure centers yep. yes in the spiral
0: i just think of i wonder if my parents like we'd sit there and giggle when they would see me listening to true love ways with this silly little grin on my face you know i'm just just wondering you know, the things we don't know because we were babies or, you know, pre-babies.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. I wish I, my dad was here to talk about that stuff with me because he liked music a whole lot more than my mother did. My mom liked music, but not at the level my father did. So
0: rock and roll or yeah. just like his sons. Yeah,
1: but he was also an outlaw country dude, too.
0: Now you know why. Yep. And the road seemed to go on forever for uh, Waylon and Willie and all the other outlaws. You know, they kept pretty funny company in that circle. yeah they did. You, had, you had to have the right attitude it's like being a member of the hollywood vampire yeah mm-hmm. the right attitude to be in but once you're in man you what you're walking by a show come on in and do two songs it was that kind of a circle i imagine that the other outlaws recognize that uh his pain was part of whalen's thing you know yeah. we all have things that make us feel some of the things we feel aren't good but not too many people carry around that way so All we've really done so far, Marcus, is to remember and to celebrate a little bit the music that came from these artists. But, you know, you can take this and do the musical equivalent of paying it forward by telling younger people about what you learned, sharing the music that you learned about when you were a kid, and making sure your kids and your grands know about it at the very least. It's up to them what they want to listen to, of course. But if you expose them to it and they like it, They'll never forget that you were the one that did it. That's part of my uh, theory. I have the Ozzy theory with my grandson. His mom mentioned that he really loves Ozzy all of a sudden. Boom. All five Sabbath Ozzy albums last Christmas. So, you know, encourage it in them.
1: And that's important, too. Mm-hmm. That's something that we both try to do with our kids directly and indirectly. Absolutely. I know we always had music on with our newborn in the room. And even when Kim was pregnant, we turned the TV off and still listened to music a lot. And I'm telling you. Ya- but
0: if he shows up at age 10 with black dyed jet black hair with black lipstick and makeup looking like Robert Smith, that's on you, my friend.
1: I know it's on me and I'm totally cool with that. I'll buy him the makeup if he wants me to. But but it does make a difference. And seriously, my son likes Buddy Holly and he likes the uh, Richie Valens stuff because it's boppy and it's dancey and it makes you move. And he's at the age now where he wants to dance and move with his friends when they listen to music. So we're trying to find as much music as we can because when we come out of the pandemic, we're going to have a little dance party outdoors. And I know Buddy Holly and Richie Valens will be a part of that because these kids will go crazy for La Bamba. Oh, baby, you know what I like. Oh, yeah. We'll (laughs) definitely do a little Chantilly lace to crack the parents up.
0: Daddy, that's a naughty record.
1: <laughs> no, no no five-year-old's going to know that. No six-year-old, I sure hope. I hope. <laughs> hey, I know
0: that they, they lose their innocence earlier and earlier in life, but let's hope at his age, you know,
1: not for a while. <laughs> that's true.
0: Well, for all we lost the day the music died, you know, we still have the music that Buddy Holly specifically made and the influence of all three, but Buddy really continued to influence, even in progress, as bands like the Beatles and the Stones and all were developing there in 1957, 8, 9, 60, right? Mm-hmm. They're all coming together, and his influence is felt in all those bands, a lot of them of the British Invasion nature and beyond, and uh, I think you can even take a look at Weezer right down to the song Buddy Holly, and the look that he has, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Cuomo has the Buddy holly look working most of the time and i think he could say that his influence continues through today and maybe he'd be playing that kind of music if he was still making music here in the 21st century talking about the great buddy holly Um, balance history and it always warms my heart to do so bro
1: me too and i want to give a special thanks out to the big bopper for what he did because of a personality like him it made radio happen for people like you and i because of what he and what his other peers did at that time and got crazy with the rock and roll so i want to say a big thanks out to the big bopper for what he did for all of us radio folk
0: I second that emotion. And uh, and if you have any thoughts on all of this, or maybe memories from the cradle or all the way through... You want to share with us? You know you can always do that on our social media on Facebook, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. On Twitter, feel free to follow and react at Imbalancedhisto, no r y, and we don't know why still. And also on Instagram, ig at Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. You can also email us, and we got a website, which is always good news for people who are just starting to find us. I think.
1: Yes, and do yourself a favor on the day the music died. Go listen to some Big Bopper. Go. Listen- Listen to some Buddy Holly, go listen to some Richie Valens, and just get lost in the music and get lost in the time period as well, because if you listen to that music for a little while, you might get lost in that time period, and how rock and roll is changing. it would be really fun.
0: Ah, the F word.
1: Ah, the F word, the one that uh, we don't have to be. That's right. Hey, don't
0: forget, you can email us anytime you'd like at imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. That's going to do it for this episode, all about the day the music died, February 3rd, 1959. Till the next time we crack the mics at the Dark Duck Studios, I'm Ray Kub.
1: I'm Marcus Goldman.
0: This is the Imbalance History
1: of Rock and Roll.
0: Coming soon, R&B in the 70s, part two on the imbalanced History
1: of Rock and Roll. It's really about the rest of the story that we didn't tell in part one. And we'll be talking about artists that we didn't talk about in the first part, including Curtis Mayfield and The Impressions, Earth, Wind & Fire, Isaac Hayes. And
0: we'll dig into artists that we barely touched on, like the Delphonics, the Spinners, and the Stylistics.
1: More soul, more funk, more groove in R&B in the 70s, part two.
0: Releasing February 21st wherever you get your podcasts and on the Pantheon Podcast Network.
4: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.